0: What a, what a gift that is for us and what an opportunity, a privilege to have you in service with us, to have our family collectively gathered together on this special of days. Oddly enough, what we're doing through the celebration of Easter, in reality, we do this every week. Would you think about that for just a moment? We do this every week when we come together in a celebration of praise in the context of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's almost like it being your birthday every week. Can you imagine that? But you didn't age. I wouldn't want it to be my birthday every week if I aged. But with a celebration that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and we get the, the... opportunity to collectively come together and worship freely, and we're so honored to have our whole church family, to have extended visitors with us today. If, if you are a visitor, we would love to have a record of your visit with us. In the bulletin that you received in the foyer should be a visitor card, and we would love for you to fill that out. You can leave it at the foyer table, or you can turn it in to one of the staff. It's just a little record of us, uh, for us saying that you came and worshiped with us on this Easter Sunday morning. I'm going to ask if you take your Bibles and turn with me to John's Gospel, the fifth chapter. Now, I especially feel privileged as a pastor to have an opportunity to preach the Word of God to you and that you have chosen to allow me and afford me this opportunity. It's not something that I take lightly. It's something that I oftentimes am intimidated by, the very fact that such gracious people come in essence to hear what I would have to say either on a particular subject or certainly in the context of the greatest of all days, Jesus' resurrection. But I'm going to believe that God's going to add a very special anointing to this word today, and it's going to minister to you no matter what situation in life that you are in. As I prayed a few moments ago with someone, my simple prayer was this. It was that don't allow anything to distract you from the moment that God's given us right now. No matter how great and challenging of circumstances that you may find yourself in, you have to have a, a here and now moment. You have, to have, you have to live for the present right now, for this brief moment in time that God gives us so that we can hear what he is saying to the church. Today can be a special way in all different areas. I was kind of just gleaning through Facebook a couple of days ago, and I saw a post by Jojo's brother's wife, that's Scott and Tanya, Ethridge, they are pastors of the Healing Place in uh, Shreveport. Uh, is Shre- not Shreveport? Is it it's Shreveport, Louisiana? And the post was is that this Sunday they would be celebrating 20 years. 20 years, not in marriage, but 20 years ago they came into First Assembly of God, bound by addiction, bound by drugs, a life of sin, on Easter Sunday morning. And I believe it was Pastor Carter. Pastor Carter at the time preached the message. The altar call was given. And that couple that was bound by those addictions and strongholds and a life of sin came to the altar and surrendered their life to Christ. Delivered from those bondages miraculously, healed, restored, began to grow in the Word of God. And now for many years they've been pastors, in several churches across. Uh, Arkansas or Arkansas and Louisiana collectively, youth pastors and pastors. And that was just a reminder of what God can do. That in a moment's time, you may be here today just not knowing, just, just here because it's the stopping point between now and your family's reunion or gathering or Easter egg hunt with your grandma, doesn't matter. But I'm telling you, God has set you up. Some of you here today, God has set you up for this moment so you could be confronted by the truth that you're about to hear today. Today we're going to talk about the resurrection, but not just Jesus' resurrection. We're going to talk about resurrection in general, because Jesus' resurrection was for you and I to gain access to eternal life. And it seems like as I age, and I was thinking for just a moment, you know, I'm 45 years old. I know it's surprising to many of you thinking I was 28, 29, but I'm really not, 45 years old. You know, I'm probably at that season of life where I can honestly say that, and I don't want to rob or cheat myself of years, but that I have less to live than I have already lived. And when you start arriving at those places as something comparable to that, your perspective about life changes. It does. You start thinking about beyond. You start thinking more about the eternal and less about the temporal. My life as a pastor, I have always been concerned about how can I help you build your life, strengthen you, encourage you. Uh, You know, part of my gifting, I believe, is to cheer you on in life. But there's a shift that's taken place in my heart that I just also want to be found guilty of speaking directly to someone concerning their eternal destination. Because you can be patted on the back and we can rejoice with you over small victories in life, but if you die and go to a devil's hell... We have missed the whole mark somewhere along the line. So I want today you to come uh, face to face with the realization that Jesus Christ is alive. And he is the resurrection and the life. He said that by his own lips in John chapter 10 or 11. I am the resurrection and the life. But he also has said that there's going to be a resurrection. We're going to read about it beyond his resurrection. A resurrection for all of us. And it puts us at a tipping point. It puts us at a place where we're going to decide what part of the resurrection we're going to take place or what part of the resurrection we're going to be associated with. John chapter 5, if you would stand and honor the reading of Scripture, we're going to read in verses 24 through 29, and then we're going to leap to the 6th chapter and read just a few short verses. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, he that hears my word and believes on God has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority, God has given to Jesus authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, Jesus said, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. So, Put this in perspective for just a moment. When Jesus, a few short chapters later, is outside of Bethany's burial chamber and he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. There were many Lazarus that had died previously, but only one Lazarus heard the call and got up that day. But there will come a day when that voice echoes and all will hear that voice and rise from the dust of the ground. Here Jesus said, And shall come forth, they that have done good. And this is not necessarily works, but this is, again, go back to the 24th verse. You heard the word, you believed on him that sent me, therefore you have everlasting life. Then you will be raised again unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil, those that have rejected the free pardon of sins available through Christ Jesus, unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of my own self do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of the Father that sent me. That was the 30th verse for an addendum. The 35th verse of the 6th chapter now, John, again captures the words of Jesus. Let's read just a few short verses through the 40th verse. Let me start at the 34th verse. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said but I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. You have seen me and believe not. You have touched me and yet you still do not believe. All that the Father giveth me, "'shall come to me, and him that comes to me "'I will in no wise cast out.'" Isn't God gracious through Christ? Doesn't matter how soiled your past may be, if you come to Christ, he will in no wise cast you out. "'For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, "'but the will of him that sent me. "'And this is the Father's will which has sent me, "'that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing.'" but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is, listen to this concluding verse, this is the will of him that sent me. This is God's will that everyone would seeth the sun, not just in the natural eye, but with spiritual eyes. We'll allude to that in a moment. And believeth on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. Isn't that good news, church family? That's good news in this house today. Let us pray. Father, we're honored by the privilege that you have given us, and I'm express, ex, uh, just completely humbled by this great group of people that's gathered here today. In awe, in essence, of the men and women that are here. But God, I'm in need of a work of grace my own life. I need an anointing to speak to the people. They didn't just come to hear... Father God, the words of a man, they've come to hear the words of God. And I pray, Lord, today in the name of Jesus that the doctrine that is taught, Father God, flows, Father, expressly from the word of God and speaks to us, Father, at the very recesses of our being today, God. Awaken our ear that we might hear today, God. And fathers, I prayed so often, give me the tongue of the learned that I may have a word in season for he that is weary. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, amen Amen and amen. Thank you for reverencing the word of the Lord. For the previous few weeks of time, we have journeyed. First, in the book of Hebrews, in seeing the life of Jesus, not only through the writings of the author, but as the author of the book of Hebrews, captures for us the images of Jesus that had been revealed to us in the Old covenant, the types and the shadows. and we and I drew your attention to the words that the author here would look back at. He would look back at these sacrifices and these offerings and say these were a shadow of the thing that was yet to come. And once we completed that series, for the last three weeks, we have taken a, an endeavor to look more closely at the life of Jesus that was captured by the gospel writers who were eyewitnesses of his person. Remember, the apostle Peter said these words. He said, We have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you his majesty. But we were eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses. Luke in his gospel said we had first-hand knowledge of these things as they began to pin these down in the gospels for us. Eyewitnesses. So we began to trace, and certainly we have ran out of time and journeying through the life of Jesus to arrive at the point where we are today. But we began with Jesus on the Mount of Temptation, following him as he defeated satanic snares. And we attempted to learn from his example. Peter would later write and say that he left us an example who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So in in, in defending ourselves against our adversary, we look to the example that Jesus gave. We learn to to wield the Word of God the way that he wielded the Word of God and drove off those attacks and began to uh, overcome the adversary. And John would later write again that we can overcome as Jesus overcame. and We learned this in the Word of God. Then we quickly began to move to the miracle ministry of Jesus. And I just simply reminded you that there has never been a ministry, there has never been any person that has exhibited the power of God like Jesus did when he was here on the earth. The gospel writers, and I would probably have wore you away by quoting this passage from John again, simply said if we attempted to write down everything that he did or said while he was here on the earth, he said, I suppose the world itself could not contain the volume of books that would be written. What an amazing record of the 39 uh, miracles that the gospel writers had collectively pinned down to reveal to us the power of Jesus' coming, casting out devils, opening blind eyes, you know, performing the miraculous while he was here. Last week, we attempted to go through the familiar path of Palm Sunday, journeying with Jesus down the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley, up into the Temple Mount where he would, uh, he would uh, dispel the temple of the merchandise that had been collected there in the temple. And our emphasis was not necessarily on that particular event, but some of the teachings that came forth from Jesus for that, uh, during that final week of his life. It was unique about this journey to Jerusalem because Jesus had began to prep his disciples weeks and even months in advance concerning going to Jerusalem. He had, lo- he had learned to love and to grow in fellowship with this group of men that had surrendered their lives. They had forsaken all. They even asked him on more than one occasion, what about us? We have given up everything to follow you. They had literally walked away from their nets, their houses, their farms, their agricultural fields, the tax collection Matthew was, whatever they had walked away from. From everything, So Jesus had certainly grown to love them at a personal level and he begins to prep them in advance in, in saying, I'm going to Jerusalem where I will be betrayed, handed over to the chief priest, I will be beaten and I will be crucified, but I will rise on the third day. Now if you read the Gospels closely, you'll find almost every time that Jesus shared this, his disciples either could not follow him, they could not visualize this in their mind, they could not see this event taking place, or they simply could not understand it about why it would happen, Um, the need for it to happen, and so typically they would try to talk him out of it. Matter of fact, Matthew's gospel, the 16th chapter, tells us that Peter, once Peter finally had the realization that it was going to take place, he rebuked Jesus and he said, "'Far be it from you, Lord, that you would go there and die.'" Jesus had to reprove him, "'Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man.'" And so Jesus, for these latter few months of his life, is prepping his disciples for the event that will take place. It was even recorded by the gospel writers. His face was set like a flint. His face was set to go to Jerusalem. Yet knowing what would take place while he was there, that he would suffer, first of all, betrayal by one of his closest allies, one that had his hand dipped in the sop at the very last supper, Satan would enter into Judas of Iscariot and he would betray Jesus for the price of 30 pieces of silver. He would then stand in front of Annas and Caiaphas the high priest where they would falsely accuse him of accusations that were unfounded but to prove that that they believed that he was worthy of death. They would hire men to lie against him ultimately concluding that he was worthy of death. They gave uh, they they did not have the right under Roman law to, to crucify him themselves so they sent him to both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate examined him and determined that he was not worthy of death. Pontius Pilate said, bring me a basin. And they brought a basin in front of all the people. He washed his hands and said, my hands are clean of this man's blood. The people cried out. The mass of people that cried out and said, let his blood be on us and our children and our children's children. And Pilate gave the order to crucify Jesus. And time would fail us today to follow that journey with Jesus when he was taken from Pilate's kingdom, or Pilate's uh, throne room, and he would go for the... Uh, the the cat of nine tails perhaps, the lacerations of 39 stripes upon his back being stripped in front of their eyes and and, and then a robe placed upon him to which the Roman soldiers knelt and falsely mocked him and put a crown of thorns upon his head. And he was led down the Via Dolorosa. It was a path of suffering that would go through the city streets of Jerusalem. It was there that he would carry his own cross to Golgotha. And it was there suspended between heaven and earth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, would die as a common thief in the eyes of men. He would be railed upon by the accusers as they would go, and they would say, if you're really the Christ, cast yourself down. But even then, he was still so full of love and grace that one of his final prayers that he would pray that day from the cross of Calvary, he would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a gracious Jesus that we serve today. A thief on one side of the cross would laugh and mock at him, but another on the other side of the cross said, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. What a gracious God we serve. Jesus Christ would lift up his eyes and he would pray, Father, Why hast thou forsaken me? I know you know this story, recorded by the gospel writers. He would bow his head and he would give up the ghost. Jesus Christ expired on the cross of Calvary. Joseph of Arimathea was a follower of Jesus, but kind of quietly for fear of the Jews, comes to comes to Pontius Pilate and begs the body of Jesus. Pontius Pilate is surprised that Jesus is dead already and so he sends word to determine whether or not he's dead. He finds that he is dead and so he allows Joseph of Arimathea to take the lifeless body of Jesus down from the cross and he puts him in a newly hewn sepulcher and it's sealed shut. The Jewish leaders come to G- to, the, to Pontius Pilate and say, and I know this is familiar to you, but I'm going somewhere with this. And they, and they say, listen, this man that while he was alive said that I'll rise again. So we want you to put a watch and make sure that, 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 that his disciples don't come by night and steal his body away. And, and so Rome authorizes a watch of, of a centurion and other men to watch uh, the tomb. And so Jesus' lifeless body is taken by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and it is wrapped briefly, it is mobbed very quickly because the Sabbath is drawing near and they cannot work on the Sabbath and it is placed in that, uh, that newly hewn tomb and it is rolled shut, a stone is rolled in front of it and Rome, Rome seals it. No man, no man can roll this stone away. No man can roll this stone away. And Jesus' disciples are scattered in fear. They had watched this man perform the miraculous, and then to their surprise, they have now watched him die such a brutal death. And they are in fear, hiding behind closed doors. The Sabbath is nigh, they do not work on the Sabbath following their Jewish culture. On the first day of the week, captured by all four gospel writers, the scripture says that Mary and the other women are going early to the sepulcher with spices, Jojo read it, Mark's account, with spices to embalm his body. But they are concerned about who's going to roll the stone away. And yet as they get closer, they see that the stone has already been rolled away. And they're perplexed. Now, the gospel writers differ in the record over what took place next, whether they left the embalming uh, embalming fluids and simply ran to meet the disciples or whether they actually looked inside or heard an angel. Either way, one one of them go to the disciples and say, they've taken away his body and we don't know where they have taken it. Peter and John jump up. And they run to the sepulchre. John is younger. He gets there first. He looks into the sepulchre, but he doesn't go in. Peter, as soon as he arrives, goes right into the sepulchre. He discovers the grave clothes on one side, the napkin that was about his head folded and laid uh, on the other side. And they are perplexed and they don't know what to do. They don't know the answer to this. And so then they leave, and even the other women leave. And Mary is left there by herself. And she's weeping and sobbing. She doesn't know what to make of all these events. And then she sees to her side a man, a lone solitary figure from the back, and she supposed him to be the gardener. Now in her heart of hearts, she believes that Jesus has been stolen at night and she doesn't know uh, what to do. She wants him to experience a, a proper burial. And so she says to him, not knowing who it is, she said, sir, supposing him to be the gardener. Sir, if you will just tell me, I know you were here. I know you watched. I know you are aware of who rolled this stone away. I know that you know where they've taken this body. And if you will but tell me where he is, I will go and I will personally take his body and give him the proper burial. And about that time, can you imagine, about that time the gardener turned around and when he turned around, the Bible says that she knew that it was Jesus. And she said, Rabboni, Rabbi, can you imagine the emotion of the hour in her own heart, having seen him die on the cross of Calvary, having spilled out his life's blood on that cross, knowing that he was laid in that tomb. She had watched personally that, that, that stone be sealed, and now he's standing there in that Presence of that sepulcher, but not in the sepulcher. And he is alive to the glory of God. She wants to run and hold him as you and I would as well. Amen. And Jesus said to her, he said, Mary, Mary, don't, don't cling to me, for I am not yet ascended unto my father and to your father, but go and tell my disciples that I'm alive. Go and tell them that I'm alive and that I will appear before them in Galilee. And so Mary does exactly as Jesus has said, and she comes and she finds them and she tells them, I have seen him, he is alive. But his disciples, full of faith and power, the Bible says, think her words are but a fairy tale. Woman, you have seen a spirit. You're deranged. You want him to be alive so bad you have created the imagination in your mind. And they dismissed it. Two of his disciples had left the group and they were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. This story's been repeated many times in the last several weeks and I won't go into great detail Their countenances have fallen because of the events that have transpired and subsequently a lone solitary figure comes up behind them and asks them why they are so sad. And then they expound to them all the things that they had witnessed in the death of Jesus Christ and ultimately Jesus begins to speak to them. As you and I know that it is Jesus, but his His image is refrained from them. They can't see him fully and completely. And he conveys to them certain things from the truth of the scriptures. And ultimately they go to where they were going to lodge that night. They compel Jesus to come in. He sits at the table with them. They give him the bread, ask him to break the bread. They don't know who it is. He lifts up his eyes before to heaven and he breaks the bread. And when he breaks the bread, the Bible says their eyes are open. And when their eyes somebody in this room needs their eyes open today, so that you can see him, not by the natural eye, but by the eye of the Spirit, that Jesus Christ is alive to the glory of the Father. And when you believe in him and you have that revelation, it will change your life. It will change who you are, that revelation. The Bible says when they broke that, when he broke that bread, that they knew that it was Jesus and immediately he disappeared from their presence. And that's when they turned to one another and said, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us along the way? And they got up immediately in the night watch and they got up and they ran to find the other nine disciples so that they could tell them what had, that they had experienced experience personally and they go in the room and they're telling the men listen we have seen him he is alive they don't know what to believe the other nine don't know what to believe when suddenly can you imagine oh if we could just have a little glimpse of what it was like at that moment that Jesus that had dissipated in the presence of the two as they broke bread along the way to Emmaus suddenly appears in the midst of the eleven and it is Christ his glory drives every shadow from the room and the see him but when they see him they suppose that he's a spirit and they shrink away in fear thinking that it is his ghost or it is his spirit see there's a spiritual world and there's a natural world and they suppose that he's a spirit but that he's not really raised from the dead and Jesus said listen a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have He said, I'm not a spirit, this is my body. He said, does somebody have anything to eat? And he asked for a piece of bread and a piece of fish and he eats it in their presence so that they can know that this is not a ghost, this is not a spirit, that this is the very same body that has placed in that borrowed tomb but now has been changed by the miraculous power of God and Jesus Christ is raised again to God be the glory. What a powerful revelation. Come on somebody, amen. Now, oddly enough, I said the 11, but actually it was 10. One was missing, Thomas. uh, Thomas uh, uh, was missing. And so Thomas, the Bible, when Thomas hears the story from the 10 later, Thomas said, yeah, right. Thomas said, unless I see him, unless I take my hand, my hand and I touch the palm of his hand, and unless I take my hand and I thrust it into his side, I will not believe. And so eight days later, eight days later, once again, the disciples are gathered together in a room when suddenly Jesus reappears in their presence. And Jesus goes right to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, here I am. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Jesus had extended his hand out to him and said, Right here, Thomas, reach hither your hand and touch the place where the Roman nail penetrated penetrated, sinew and flesh. Right here, touch it, Thomas. Touch my feet. Reach your hand right here. You saw the Roman soldier's spear pierce my side until blood and water flowed out. Reach your hand right here. Thomas cries out in broken repentance, My Lord and my God. But here are the words that I want you to hear today. Jesus said this, Thomas, he said... Because you have seen, you believed. Because you have seen, you have believed. He said, but there's going to come a group of men and women. They're going to be gathered on Easter Sunday morning, 2014, in Heber Springs, Arkansas, and they have never seen me with the natural eye. They have never touched my hand. They have never reached forth and put their hand into the gaping wound in my side. They have never clung to me like Mary did. But without seeing, they yet believe. And because they believe, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe believe so i want you to know today i cannot say with the apostle peter i was an eyewitness of his majesty but i can say this that without seeing i yet believe without touching i yet believe and i know that jesus christ is alive to god be the glory this morning amen and amen and it's the cornerstone of our faith the resurrection of jesus christ When the apostles would later begin to preach and share the message of Christ, it wasn't simply Christ crucified, but it was Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected. The preaching of the cross is not complete without the resurrection. The preaching of the cross finds its completion when Jesus Christ, who had prophesied his own death, I will die this way, But he also prophesied his own burial. For as Jonah was three days in the heart of the uh, well, so shall the Son of Man be three days in the heart of the earth. But he also prophesied his own resurrection. He said, no man has the power to take my life from me. Freely I lay it down and freely I will take it up again. And so that's the Jesus that you and I know and serve and believe in. That Christ, that resurrected King. With great anticipation we await his coming. We await his coming and we long for that day. No wonder the gospel writers and John would close the book of Revelation with these words, even so come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let the heartache and sorrow of a depraved world pass away when God will wipe away all tears from our eyes and you and I will live eternally in God's kingdom with all the glories and the majesty of that glorious kingdom. Where the Bible says that the sun will have no need to shine, the moon will not light the darkened sky. For the Bible says that the Lamb is the light thereof. We will walk on streets of gold. We will behold His glory. We will experience the love of God. Thank God for the promise of the resurrection that we have in Christ Jesus. It's the greatest of all truths. One of the dangers of the culture that we live in today, one of the dangers that we live in the cultures today, one of these dangerous doctrines that we have today is that there has been a doctrine of abundant life that now supersedes the doctrine of eternal life. I'm a believer in the doctrine of abundant life. John 10 and 10, Jesus Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I believe God wants us prosperous and blessed, but let me tell you, that should not, be, that should not supersede the doctrine of eternal life. That's the greatest of all doctrine because you can live blessed and you can have a home and you can have all these things and, and all this, but let me tell you, the greatest blessing of all is the promise of eternity. Eternal life with God in Christ Jesus. And the cornerstone of all that we believe is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection. So in contemplating upon the resurrection, I wanted to leave three quick nuggets of truth with you today, just quickly today in your spirit, that is afforded to you because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is afforded to you and I as believers in Christ. First and foremost is you and I have a hope that the world doesn't have. The Bible says that we've been begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As a matter of fact, when the apostle Paul said it's the hope of the resurrection. See, there's a difference between faith and hope. Faith possesses it. Now hope anticipates that which is yet to come. By hope, I'm longing for that day, but I anticipate it to come. God has given us hope. One of the things that we recognize in this earth that there is death in this earth. That every one of us, you may not die of cancer, but you will die. You may not die in an automobile accident, but you will die. You may not die of natural... You're going to die. But the reality is you and I have hope of a resurrection. Oh, hallelujah. The promise of eternal life with Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul said these words. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable... If in the, on this side of eternity we have hope in Christ, then our lives are miserable failures. But Christ has opened to us the portals of glory and given us the promise of eternal life. And that eternal life is the hope that we now possess. And that encourages us as a pastor. Some of the things that we do as pastors is we walk with people through the, the valleys of life. We walk with people through the ups and downs. We're there with many of you when your children are born to celebrate life. But we'll also be there with you when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and the apostle Paul is writing in the church of Thessalonica and he gives us words to comfort families that have lost loved ones and he said I'm writing to this to you that you can comfort their hearts I'm paraphrasing the fourth chapter of the book of First Thessalonians he said as you write to those that believe in Christ he said not as others who do not have hope See, you and I have hope that death is not the end we have hope that there will come a day that Christ is going to raise the dead And those that are passing to eternity will one day be resurrected in God's eternal kingdom. And oh, how we long for it and celebrate it. It's the gift of God. I thank God for it. You and I should thank God for it collectively this day. That's the hope of the resurrection. See, if Jesus' resurrection was solitary, solitary, meaning he was resurrected and no one else, then he's missed the mark of the heart of God because he was the corn of wheat that was sown into the earth because God didn't just want one kernel, He wanted a whole field. So He took the kernel of life, His Son, and He hid him in the earth, so that when He sprang forth out of the Word, out of the earth, He would be the firstborn from the dead. And that's why death has no sting over us, the apostle would write. Death has lost its victory, death has lost its sting. Hebrews 2 says, We've been delivered from the bondage of death. I know death in the process of dying is still painful and we still run from it all the days of our life. It's the last enemy that shall be defeated, but it will be defeated and you and I will gain our victory over it. You may say, Well, I succumbed to death and I won its victory over me and I died. No, Jesus said, He said, If you believe in me, you'll never die. Now, you have to process that spiritually. He's not talking about just in the natural realm. Yes, naturally, all of us are going to die, but in the spirit, we're still alive, but we're awaiting the resurrection of our bodies. And that day will come. The trumpet of God will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and yet remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's the great promise of the resurrection. So it gives us hope. I tell you, you need hope in today's culture, in today's society. You need the eternal hope that we have. Secondly, I'm going to warn you with this one. Secondly, the resurrection will afford you that you will be persecuted for your faith. And you will per- be persecuted for what you believe. You will be persecuted because the cornerstone of the foundation of your faith is that Jesus not only died, but he's raised again from the dead. Did you know it's not the preaching of the cross that, in essence, that that was what the disciples were and the apostles were brought into, uh, brought before trial in the days of the book of Acts. It was the preaching of the resurrection. It was the fact that they were preaching that this man Jesus lived and died and then was raised again from the dead. The apostle Paul was standing before King Agrippa in Acts the twenty-sixth chapter, and he recognized. And he he said this, uh, this is actually the 23rd chapter when he was standing before the Sanhedrin council. And he recognized that the council was divided. Some were Pharisees, which say there's a resurrection. Some were uh, Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And he recognized this. And so Paul is wanting to angle their their, their, uh, judgment in his direction. And so he leans towards the Pharisees and he says, for the hope of the resurrection, that's why I'm called in question to this day. The hope of the resurrection. See the adversary. The adversary hates the thoughts of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. See Colossians tells us that if the adversary had known, if our, if principalities or First Corinthians says if principalities and powers had known what would take place, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. That meant that satanic plot that caused Pontius Pilate and, and, and all those men moved by demon spirits to say that we want to crucify Jesus. If they would have known that with his death and his burial and his resurrection that you and I could live and walk in eternal life and with resurrection power, they would have never crucified the Lord of Glory. But oh what a mistake they made that fateful day when they crucified Christ and hid him in that burial tomb because when he came up out of the grave, he said, I am he that was dead and yet I am alive again and I got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And now Christ Jesus, again, is the firstborn from the dead, and you and I possess that living hope in our heart and lives today. And so you're going to be persecuted, and I believe in my heart of hearts that it seems that if we as believers determine to live godly in the age in which we live, we're going to be persecuted at a greater depth than we have ever known previously. And it's found its basis in your hope of resurrection. That you're being persecuted because Jesus Christ has overcome the grave and therefore his doctrine that he taught is validated by his resurrection. Lastly today, hear this before I dismiss you this morning. Hear this today. The third thing that's afforded to you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this right here and it's very simple. It confirms... These two things. It confirms that you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture and it confirms your belief in the power of God. Those two things. Let me give you an example real quickly. That final week of Jesus' life, remember last week that I kind of skimmed over and I said there were a lot of questions that were posed to Jesus. One was posed by the Sadducees again. Now, the Sadducees did not believe in a spirit, and they did not believe in the resurrection. And so they came to Jesus to catch him in a story that would cause him to say something contrary to their belief system so that they could falsely accuse him. So they came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, let's talk. And they said, here's this brother. He gets married to this woman. He said, and they're married, and then oddly enough, he dies. She survives. She gets married again. The man that she's living with, uh, her husband, oddly enough, he dies. He's buried. And then after a period of time, she gets married again. This doesn't happen the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time. Number one, uh, just real quickly, if I was the fifth or the sixth, I'd be asking some serious questions real quickly. <laughs> but ultimately, they said it happened seven times. Seven times. Seven men had her and, and, and said, so in the resurrection, they said, whose wife will she be? And this is what Jesus said. He said, you are in error. The culture in which we live in today is in error because they don't believe in two things. Number one, they don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture this morning. I base all that I am, who I am, where I'm headed based upon the revealed Word of God, the inerrancy of Scripture. He said, Jesus Christ said, you are in error because you don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture nor do you believe in the power of God. He said, because in the resurrection, in the resurrection, listen to this. He said, in the resurrection, he said, you're not going to be married and given in marriage. He said, but you're going to be like the angels of God. You're going to serve God. So I don't mean to be harmful to the, the images that you have in your mind, but when you think about grandma and grandpa floating down the, you know, a little stream in heaven, holding hands and looking deeply into each other's eyes, that's a false image that the, the church is allowed to be created in your mind because they are not going to be married in heaven. We're going to serve God. We're going to be children of God, sons and daughters of God. That's what Jesus Christ, we're going to be like the angels of heaven. Come on, we're going to be strong and powerful in the glory of God and we're going to stand in the presence of God and worship God freely and serve the Lord. He said, so you don't know the word of God. Jesus reproved them for their, for their not believing the word of God. But they also didn't believe in the power of God. For he said, let me remind you of this. Remember what it was said. He said, remember what it was recorded in scripture. He said, when Moses met the Lord on the backside of the Sinai desert. And remember when that bush began to burn. That bush began to burn. And God called to Moses and said, Moses, come near to me. And he said, take off your sandals. He said, I want to talk to you. He said, I am the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. He said, God is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. And so they all shall live to God. So God has the power to extract every man from the grave. And Jesus Christ is the firstfruits of the resurrection. And so he gives us an eternal hope that we can now possess, that we can live every day in this life, with the confidence that if we were to expire before the day concluded, that you and I would be welcomed eternally into God's eternal kingdom, awaiting the resurrection of our body. It's a hope that we should thrive in every day. We should live every day of our lives, knowing that we're being persecuted because of our belief that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and so will we be. And thirdly, we believe that the Word of God is inerrant. And that with God's power, all things are possible. Some say, well, now, Pastor Brown, let me tell you, how can can you believe in a resurrection? What about the people that perished at sea? Or what about the people that were consumed by wild animals? And what about the people whose ashes have been tossed into the air and have been been caught by the wind and taken to the four corners of the world? All I know is is that God reached his hand down and took a handful of clay, and he breathed into it, and it became a living soul. And if he did it once, he can do it again, and he's going to raise us from the dead to God be the glory, the power of Jesus' resurrection. Whoever's coming back on the platform with me, if you would today, in dismissal. I'd like to turn our attention this morning in dismissal to the words of Jesus today. The will of God. He said in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6, this is the will of God. This is the will of God for your life. This is the will of God that sent me. That everyone which seeth the Son would believe on him and have ever lasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I will raise him up at the last day. In the fifth chapter of John, when Jesus began this discourse on resurrection, he made a statement that we must catch today very quickly because our culture today has taken doctrines, even in the church that we believe in, and so compressed them, And so, ostracize them that they're no longer in mainstream Christianity. One of the doctrines that I'm talking about is the doctrine of judgment. It's as if there's not gonna come a day of judgment because the culture of today doesn't wanna hear that. The culture today doesn't wanna hear it because we're fearful of judgment. We're fearful of it. We're fearful of it. Fearful of judgment. And it's a perverted and a distorted doctrinal belief system that says I can live any way, any way that I please and then I will pass into eternity and be welcomed into God's kingdom. Let me tell you, if you don't have faith in Christ and trust the Lord, you will be resurrected one day. But Jesus himself said you'll be resurrected to the resurrection of damnation, not to the resurrection of righteousness. So Jesus here is setting the stage. And he's saying, listen, if you believe in what I'm teaching you, if you put your faith and your trust in me, you will be raised again unto righteousness. You'll be resurrected into eternal life before the Father. But if you reject me, now hear this today, real quickly. I'm closing right now with these words. On Easter Sunday, when we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but what I, as I contemplated through the course of this week, my... My attention could not wrap just around Jesus' resurrection, but my attention was wrapped around the fact that we were going to be resurrected and we're going to stand before God one day. And you're going to either hear these words, you're going to hear these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joys of the Lord. Or you're going to hear these words, Depart from me, for I never knew you. And eternity for you will be in the lake of fire. That burns with fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet and Satan himself is tormented away from the presence of God the scripture says forever and ever the righteous will live eternally in God's kingdom this is real stuff church family I didn't make this up I didn't go to seminary and learn this in a, in a theological school this is simply what Jesus said Jesus Christ said these words and he said, if you put your faith in me, you'll be raised again to newness of life. But if you reject me, you'll be raised again to the resurrection of damnation. That's, serious ma- that's a serious matter. And our culture today just acts like it's just something that we don't even have to consider. We just go and do whatever. And Jesus is, and his teachings are just myths and fables of the past. Let me tell you, he validated everything that he said by his resurrection. That's the key right there. If you didn't hear anything at all, hear that today as I conclude on this Easter Sunday sermon. He validated everything that he said when he died, was buried, and was raised again. And so now, it behooves you to hear what he has to say. Jesus Christ died on the cross to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. God forbid that we would reject it, turn away from it, walk away face eternity without the saving grace of the knowledge of God. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of God on this Easter Sunday morning. Oh how my heart was moved just a couple of days ago when I read that testimony. 20 years today a couple is celebrating 20 years of deliverance from sin life with Christ and possessing the hope of eternal life and it was because they came to first assembly of God on an Easter Sunday as an invitation probably by a loved one a life filled with sin they heard the sermon the word penetrated their hearts and they found themselves coming face to face with the possibilities of judgment without Christ and their hearts were opened and they surrendered to Christ and now their life is changed by the power of God If that happened to someone 20 years ago, it can happen to you today. It's time, church family. It's time. Is there anybody here today under the sound of my voice that says, Pastor, I need Jesus. He said if I would believe on him, I'd be saved. I want to believe in Christ today. Pastor Brown. I will come to the front of this church and I will pray with you, Pastor, if you will pray with me because I want to turn my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice today that says, Pastor, I want to surrender my heart and life to Jesus? Is there anyone? I'm waiting. If it is, slip your hand up so I can see and we're going to pray together today. Is there anyone at all? Thank you. I see that hand. Is there anyone? Thank you. I see that hand anybody else today says pastor I wanna pray come on is there anyone anyone else thank you so much today thank you it's gonna take courage it's gonna take courage in just a moment to come to this front and pray with me and pray a simple prayer anybody else today today's your day this is not games listen play games later with your kids when you hide easter eggs this is eternity that's hanging in the balance right now your eternal destination is dependent upon whether or not you believe that Jesus Christ died was buried and is raised again, and you're ready to surrender all that you are to him. Right now, right now, is there anybody else today? Quickly, slip your hand up. Anyone else today? Anyone? Pastor, uh, I'm too big. No, right now, you don't know about tomorrow. You don't know, well, I'll give my life to God tomorrow. No, you don't know you're not afforded the the, the the promise of tomorrow. You're given this opportunity right now, right now, to make a decision for Christ. Make a decision. Is there anyone else today? Come on. This is your mind. Christians, are you praying? I feel like I'm in the midst of a group of men and women for a brief moment that are distracted. Distracted. People are making a decision for eternity right now. Christians, are you praying right now? Holy Spirit, God, would you move? Would you move? Those that raised their hand, have the courage to come forward right now. And let me and JoJo meet with you right here, right now, to pray a simple prayer with you that we believe will enable you to enter into God's kingdom. Come on. If somebody needs to come with you, come on. Don't let her walk alone. Come on. Come on down with her in the name of Jesus. Anyone else today in Jesus' name to make this moment, to make it real, to surrender, to surrender. Come on. God's already been doing this already. He's already been reaching men and women. This is their day. This is their day today in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord. We're going to pray together right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer.